Today we continue our series called Dear Church. We've been spending the season of Lent. Lent, for those of you who are not church people, uh, is the time, the 40 days before Holy Week, where we prepare ourselves for uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we as a church have said, hey, how how are we going to prepare ourselves for that season, for that time of the year? And so we have spent uh, the last, this will be week five uh, and of an eight-week series on the book of 1 Corinthians, which is actually a letter, the first letter to the church in Corinth. We've been spending time uh, going through each and every section. Uh, Today we will be in chapters 9 and 10, chapters 9 and 10, as we continue the letter from Paul to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Apostle, remember, back to the beginning, means sent one. He's saying, am I not a sent one? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are my seal, the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas or Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing for it's written in the law of Moses? Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that the God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered in the altar in the same way? The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should reach their, receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul begins this section of 
the letter by saying this. Dear church, I lay down my freedom and my rights. Dear church, I lay down my freedom and my rights. We live in America. That's what I call on 4th of July. America, right? The United States of America. The land of the free. The home of the brave. Who gets an A plus in human rights. Right? We are freedom people and we are rights people. And if you talk to Americans about what is amazing, why do they love America? Many of them will answer, you would probably answer, listen, I'm free. Right? One of the great things is that we're free to come and worship this morning. It's amazing freedom, right? Amazing that we can come here and that we can sit together. In other places in this world, that is not a freedom that they are afforded. Right? In other churches around the world right now, they are under intense persecution. The church in China is underground essentially. Right? And it meets in houses and warehouses and has to switch locations because they're not free to worship. So we worship freely. And if we would ask more about why do you love being an American, you would say, well, man, I have rights. I have rights. I'm entitled to certain rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are, those are three pretty big ones, right? And Paul says, yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's great. Freedom and rights. Freedom and rights. Freedom and rights. I love those freedom and rights. But I lay them down. I lay them down. Paul starts the section of the letter with a radical message to us as Americans. A radical message to set down our freedom and to set down our rights. Paul starts here by talking uh, about money. Doesn't sound like that, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking and he's saying, listen, I could come in and I could say, hey, I'm preaching the gospel just like all the other apostles like Peter and the other followers of Jesus. And what I could say to you is, hey, pay me what I'm worth. Right? If I come and I do good work among you, should I not um, engage in the profit of that? Should I not be a part of that? Should I not receive earthly rewards for that? And he lays this out, lays this out to them. He says, I'm free. And I have the right to demand that of you. Apparently in that time and in that place, other apostles were saying, hey, if I come preach the gospel to you, if I'm a sent one, an apostle to you, then there's some wages due. you got to take care of me. Right? And so he could have demanded that because he was free and this was his right. But instead, Paul says, I am going to lay them down. I'm going to lay them down. And the question would be, well, why is Paul laying down his rights and his freedoms? This is something we don't do. Why would Paul be encouraged? And why, why would he believe so strongly in laying down his rights and his Privileges. One little hint we get in here is that he doesn't want to be hindered in his preaching. He wants to preach out of the freedom in his heart because it's the only thing that he can do. It's what he loves to do. It's what he was made to do, right? He says, listen, I preach voluntarily. I have a 
reward. I am compelled to preach. I am compelled to preach. See, Paul wants a different type of freedom. He wants to be able to come in and he wants to be able to preach with with nothing hindering him. That he can preach the gospel of Jesus, which we've already encountered, is kind of hard sometimes, right? It kind of gets in our face sometimes. And he says, I don't want anything to hinder me because I'm compelled to do this. This is what I was made for. Maybe that's another translation. He would say, this is what I was made for. I was made to preach. We've already heard him use this phrase within the letter. He says, listen, I'm not here to do other things. I'm just here simply to preach the gospel. So he lays down his freedom and his rights because he wants to preach the gospel freely because he's compelled to, but there's something more going on on here. There's something more that's driving him to say, I'm going to lay down my rights and privileges. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I may save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He says, dear church, I lay down my freedom and my rights. Why? So that I might win some. So that I might win some. The Greek doesn't, doesn't always matter, right? Um, sometimes preachers just use it to show off. That's just a confession. Sometimes they're like, hey, the Greek on this. And like, ooh. Okay, that's, sometimes it actually matters. And here it actually matters. The word win is really interesting in Greek. When you really unpack the word win, it means to trade for something better. Or a better exchange. A better exchange. So, so you could say in here, hey, he wants to become like the Jews so that he can give the Jews a better exchange. He wants to become weak so that he can help the weak have a better exchange. He wants to become like all people in all places so, so that they can have a better exchange. He wants to win some. He wants to win some, which is why he lays down his freedom and his rights. He says, listen, I don't hold captive my freedom and rights. I remove them. I remove them so that I might become all things to all people so that I might win some. Those two words are interesting, but if you put them together, they're even more interesting. And the word there is winsome, right? Winsome means this. The definition of winsome is this. Attractive or appealing in appearance or character. Attractive or appealing in appearance or appearance or character. Here's the big idea. 
Paul says, I will give up my freedom. I will give up my rights. Heck, I'll give up anything so that I might be winsome. Right? So that I may be attractive and appealing in my character and in my message of Jesus Christ. He wants to appeal to others with his message in any way that he can. You'll see this over and over throughout Paul's letters to the churches. He is obsessed with lost people. He is obsessed with lost people. He likes church people. He likes to argue with them and correct them. But he loves lost people. Like, he he got it when Jesus told the story about the shepherd who left the 99 to get the one. He, he heard about that and he was like, yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that leaving the 99 to go get the one. And I'll do whatever it takes to go and get the one. Paul is so driven in this. He says, hey, to the skiers I become a skier. Right? True confessions. Moved here uh, um, five years ago, around five years ago. And everybody's like, well, you ski. And I was like, well, not yet. Um, um, in fact, I've told the story one time before about a big fight. Lori and I had a bridge. We won't tell that right now. Or else I have to pay my family when I tell stories about them. So I'm, I, it's not worth it. So we're not going to go that one. Okay. But long story short, grew up in Colorado. People assumed, oh, skier, Colorado, right? Reality is, got here and was like, well, the skiing thing, I hope it works out. Because a lot of people ski here, right? Went down uh, to Super Dave and said, hey, Super Dave, I, don't, I know you don't know me, but you've got a great reputation. Hey, uh, I, I hear you fly fish and I hear you're into skiing. Can you help me get set up? And so he got me some skis that were about the right size, got me in some boots, and I got my, I got my pass. And man, I started skiing and realized very quickly I had a long, long ways to go. Uh, I remember getting out with some of you who have, I, who I could ski with now, and you should invite me out now, because it's been five years, okay? But I know some of you have memories of me in the early days, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to ski with him anymore. I, I you know, I, you can only go down certain andesite roads with Brian at that time in his life, right? Um, and I'm going to tell you this, true story, true story. I did this to win some. Can I be honest with you? I don't love skiing still. That's like, that's, I should be kicked out of this town for saying that out loud, right? (laughs) Run him out of town! Get the pitchforks! No, listen, it's, it's just not my jam. I love fly fishing. I love fly fishing, right? But like, like, I like skiing. I enjoy it more and more each year. But can I be honest with you? Why I became a skier? Because y'all are skiers. Because I'm here to win something. I want to be in the midst of you so that I can talk your language, so I can hear about you. You don't want to know why? You're more important to me than I am. You're so much more important to me than I am. The lost people in this town are so much more important to me than I am, than my needs, than my rights, than the things I should do and I like. You're more important to me than that. The lost people in our lives are more important to that. And Paul understands this. I'll become all things for all people. And listen, we are so self-centered. We are so self-centered. We walk around this life thinking, what does this life have for me? And Paul says, this life is not about you. Jesus dies on a cross, not for himself, but for you. 
And Paul becomes all things to all people so that he might win some. We continue. Verse 24. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave. So after I have Preach to others, I will, my, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So he says this, dear church, I lay down my freedom and my rights so that I might win some for I desire greater rewards. I desire greater rewards. Paul's saying this, becoming winsome doesn't happen on accident. Becoming winsome doesn't happen. You don't just fall into being winsome. Yes, some of you are a little more charismatic than others. Some of you can woo people, right? But listen, being winsome towards the gospel does not happen on accident. In fact, Paul paints a picture for us of strict training here. And Paul knows his audience because he knows that they're in Corinth, which is a port city in Greece. And if you had about a day's journey or a couple days journey, if you're walking straight to the west, you're going to run into the town of Olympia. Olympia. Do you know what happened in Olympia? Anybody? Come on, you can figure this out. The Olympics, that's right. The Olympics. For 12 centuries in ancient Greece, the Olympics were held in Olympia, and they were these great feats of incredible athletes. As we did more, as I did more and more homework on this this week, it's really, really interesting history on the Olympics. The Olympics were originally started um, as a way to celebrate the gods. Isn't that interesting? So, so if you went to Olympia in the early days of the Olympics, they would have these great human feats, these, these moments of great strength where they would, they would wrestle or they would throw javelins or they would race, right? And they would do it right in the sight that they would also offer their sacrifices to Zeus. They, they did the Olympics in the sanctuary, okay? I ain't going to make any of you get up here and run to the back. I can take bets on who would win, but that would be fun, right? But they worshipped in the sanctuary. They put their feats and greatness on display in front of the gods. And, and you know what happened? Some of them won and some of them didn't. That's what happened. Just like the Olympics nowadays. Some of them were great heroes of strength. Some of them were faster than others. Some of them were more skilled than others. And so when you went to Olympia and you went to the Olympics every year, there was a festival and there was prayer to Zeus and prayer to the other gods. And then there were these feats of strength. And, and at the end of it all, they would have like the closing ceremonies, just like they have now. And they would award the winners based upon what they'd done. Right? You're the fastest girl. We're going to give you this, this golden crown. Right? You're the strongest dude. We're going to give you this golden 
crown. Oh, you really know how to drive chariots? We're going to give you this golden crown. Until next year. And then when you come back next year, you're going to have to win the crown again. Right? Because we're not just going to give you the crown every single year. you got to earn it over and over and over and over and over. And, and he says this, listen, I want to be winsome to win the prize which is eternal. I want to be winsome to win the prize which is eternal. I don't want to worship a a limited God who's made by human hands. I want to worship an eternal God who has eternal rewards. And so he says, I am driven by this. Like Paul wakes up every morning thinking about how he might win some. And everything he does is toward the end, toward the goal of a reward that is eternal. He's obsessed with this. This is the whole focus of his life. And, and I can just resonate with this. I, I just, I resonate so, so much with this. Um, because Paul's big thing was preaching. And that's my big thing too. Good enough for Paul. Good enough for me, man. And I know that's not your thing and that's okay. But that was, that was Paul's thing. He, he woke up every morning thinking, how can I possibly preach the gospel more. How can I possibly preach the gospel to reach and save some that haven't been saved yet? Where's the next place that God is sending me to so that I might preach the gospel to them? I know your heroes are like um, athletes. And I know your heroes are, are maybe like, um, well, probably not politicians. Maybe. Um, okay, good for you. Uh, celebrities, right? Um, I know you're, you have these heroes probably, right? People that you'd want to sit down and have lunch with this week. If you could have lunch with anybody in the world, you would have a name for me, right? Here's my names, okay? It's, it's astounding, all right? Martin Luther King Jr. Some of you would be like, yeah, I'm on that, right? You know why? Because that dude can preach, okay? Martin Luther, lost some of you right there. Uh, uh, John Calvin, lost more of you there. Charles Spurgeon. You're like, Spurgeon? That's a weird word. Yep, Prince of Preachers. Like, I'm into dead preachers. That's what I'm into, okay? Like, I love, love, love them. I read their sermons. I read their books. One of those guys that I just listed preached 159 sermons on the book of Job. Right? John Calvin, he preached 159 sermons on the book of Job in one year. Which means dude was preaching almost every day. He's my hero. I'm like, preach, brother, preach. I just love it. And that's how Paul woke up every day. How can I preach the gospel? If you look at my... I have a, a, a sort of a, a life mission statement that I've been working on. Um, and, and one of the points in the life mission statement is that I might become a world-class preacher, that I might become a world-class preacher. And I can tell you right now, I resonate with Paul when he says, I wake up and this is what I think about. And this is what I do. I just train myself and train myself and train myself. I'm obsessed because I want a reward that will last. Are you upset? What are you obsessed with? And will it last? hard question. What are you driven by and will it 
last. Paul knows for himself it will, and he wants to challenge his listeners a little further. So he goes on. For, chapter 10, verse 1. For, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancients, ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He's giving them a little history lesson here. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He's giving them a history of Israel. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, which means a whole generation died. Because that was what God's plan was. He's like, y'all gotta go, okay? Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. You can read about that in, uh, I think it's Exodus, Genesis, Numbers, Leviticus. It's, I think it's in Leviticus. Um, it, and that's what happened. Lots of people died um, because of sexual immorality. Just saying. Okay, we... I'm just... Okay, it's not me. Take it up with Jesus. Okay, uh, we, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then the most un- uh, uh, wrongly quoted um, scripture in the Bible. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Not, he won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says. That's where people get that from. Okay. He says, you won't be tempted what you can, beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Oftentimes it's just, it's just a way out. Like you just leave. That was when you're tempted, leave. That, that's easy. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I'm running out of time. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break in participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many, are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I not mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? But no, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? He goes on to say this, flee from the worship of anything other than God. Flee from the worship of anything other than God. If when I said 
What wakes you up in the morning? What are you committed to? What are you obsessed about? What are you focused on? If that is something other than the Lord, Paul would say, flee from it. We, we talked about this in the past couple weeks. And, and, and I, I heard some of you were like, Boy, Brian's really angry in this series. I'm not. God hates sin, though. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. Paul hates sin because God hates sin. It's not something to screw around with. It's not something to joke about. It's not. He, he had to die on a cross for my sins. I should flee from this kind of stuff. And some of us play around with it. We think it's okay. Well, it's not that big of a sin. Yes, it is. Jesus died on a cross for it. So you've got to run away from it. Not run to it. Not tiptoe around it. Not pretend that you can handle it. You can't handle sin. There's only one that can. And he handled it. He handled it on a cross where you and I belong. I'm not mad at you, but God hates your sin. He hates, hates, hates your sin. He will rid the world of it someday. There will not be sin someday. He will rid the world of it. And so we should be those who want to rid it out of ourselves right now. We should flee from everything, everything that leads us in a direction other than God. And instead, what we should do is glorify God in everything. Run from anything that takes you away from God. But next point, instead, glorify God in everything. Verses 23. I have the right to do anything. We said this a couple weeks ago. This is the banner of Corinth. I have the right to do anything. Sound familiar? Yep, because we have that banner up here in our country too, right? I have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising question of conscience. But if someone says to you this has been offered to a sacrifice, then don't eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. (laughs) For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I being denounced? Because of something I thank God for. So what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Flee from the worship of anything other than God, but instead glorify God in everything, in how you eat, in how you drink, in how you do your business deals, in how you parent your kids, in how you do your taxes, in everything. Glorify God. Flee from all that is not from God, but in everything glorify God. Uh, another dead theologian that I like, Abram Kuyper. He said, there's not a single square inch of this creation that God doesn't say, that's mine. That's a good quote, right? He said, everything belongs to me. And so we should be those who say, yes, we, we're going to take everything. We're going to take everything. 
everything we have, everything we have to offer, every little decision, every little moment, every inconsequential, inconsequential thing, everything, we're going to do it to the glory of God. Why? Last. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Flee from the worship of anything other than God. Instead, glorify God in everything so that you also might win some. So that you might win some. What is this life all about? What's the point? Is it to get it all in before you die? Is it to get your bucket list done? I, I No offense to bucket listers out there, but like, come on. Seriously? Like, if you've got a bucket list, you don't understand the gospel. Okay, so um, here's, here's a teaser for Easter. At Easter, we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of all things, because that's how the letter ends, okay? And it happens to be Easter. See how we did that? Okay, it's really cool. Anyway, so listen, this, this is what we're going to talk about. That this life isn't about escaping to heaven and, and sitting on a cloud with an oversized diaper and a harp. This, that's not it. It's not the picture, right? The picture is this, that heaven and earth at the end of all things collide. If you read Revelation 21, 22, go ahead and read it this afternoon. The picture is that God descends to his people and their dwelling place is with him. And there is a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and that like blow your mind a little bit, which means what? It means this life is just a glimpse. Everything that you love that gives glory to God. Guess what? You're going to get to do that in eternity. You, you don't have to get your bucket list. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. Like 10 times better. Honestly, right? 10 times better. Whatever you think that bucket list is that needs to happen right now, that is undermining the gospel. That's saying, I need to get it now because I won't get it someday. No, no, no. You don't need to get it now. You're going to get it someday. And you can't even imagine like, you can't even imagine how deep the powder is in the new heavens and the new earth, okay? You can't even imagine it. You can't, you can't even imagine the size of the trout that you can catch on 6X, okay? You, you just, it's gonna blow your mind. My great grandfather, he had, uh, the church sing, he, he planned his own funeral, cause he's, cause he was that kind of guy. Um, Good dude. And he said, you will sing beside the sea of crystal, which is an old hymn. Saints in glory stand. Some of you know this. Okay. But, but his translation on that, uh, hymn was, he, he always, he'd always say, because those saints were fishing. And so he wanted to make sure that we sang beside the sea of crystal at his funeral so that we knew where to find him in the new heavens and the new earth. Cause he'd be at the sea of Galilee with a fly rod in his hand, ready to go. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't even imagine what resurrection is going to be like. Do this so that you might win some, because we want everybody to be there. We want everybody to be there. So, yesterday, um, yesterday, Eagle Mount is this wonderful uh, nonprofit, and they had a ski day. 
And at the end of the ski day, they had some folks who served them lasagna and cookies. And I would like anybody who is a part of Eagle Mount to please stand up right now, please. Stand up. Do it. I know you don't want to. Please stand, 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 stand. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. Listen to me. I'm going to just talk to you for a minute. I'm going to talk to just for you. They all get to listen. You, you won some yesterday. You won some yesterday. Like, this is what you did. I know you thought, oh, it was just, it was just lasagna. It was just cookies. No. Listen, you won some. You won some. You got to say to them, this is what I do because I follow Jesus. You didn't just serve lasagna. You didn't just bring cookies. You won some. And so we need to do something for you, right? We need to do something for you. This is what life is about. If you catch a glimpse of this, this is so much better than the life some of you are are living right now. So much better. And all you got to do, serve some lasagna, (laughs) bake some cookies, and see whatever Jesus puts in front of you.